I have this conversation with uh, one of the senior developers. I was at the company for four months at that time. He's making less money than I am. This um, was a seven dollar per hour was job. I was making seven. Hour. He was making six or five. Oh shit! I quit the next day. <laughs> they want to keep me. They want to raise my salary. I'm like, no. Uh, I, I felt like I wanted to do something more. Didn't quite know what that more was. And then you go from seven dollars per hour to over six figures. Basically, yeah. And how do we go from six figure premage to seven figure premage? This is also one of those uncomfortable conversations because every time I tell you know somebody that they think like you know first of all like you're an asshole, your audience is not gonna think that. But hear me out. Welcome to The Modern Consultant, a place for consultants and teams of consultants to architect the kind of life that they want to live on their terms. I am excited to have you. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a seasoned listener, welcome back. I'm excited for you to be here. And this week, we're going to be talking to Primoz Bozic. And he has been a great friend for more than 10 years. And in this episode, you're going to be learning from him how he went from $7 per hour to building a seven-figure marketing agency. It's incredible. You're also going to hear us talk about the time to launch and why more people need to be talking about this. But you're also going to hear us talk about uh, yoga and breath work and how that actually impacts performance as well. Uh, there's much for us to get into the growth hierarchy and how you can use that to architect your consultant's journey as well as your marketing agency journey. We get into a lot. And if you already know who Primage is, I can promise you, you're going to be learning and hearing about a side of him that you've never seen before. Stories that have never been shared anywhere on the internet or in real life. This is one that I am proud to share with you, and I thank you for being here. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Primaj, I just want to say welcome to the show. Like, um, It is an honor to have you, and I was thinking about this before uh, we got on, but uh, we've known each other now, I think it's been like 10 years, actually. Yeah, like, I think so kind of wild like <laughs> crazy like, and uh, one of the things that i think is going to be really cool for this is that uh, we get to talk uh as friends and then folks who already know us um they're gonna learn more about you and see you in a way that they've never seen you before like that is my goal and for the people who don't yet know what you're up to, for them to hear parts of your story that they're not going to be able to hear anywhere else, to learn from you because you have a wealth of knowledge, um, just not like strategically, but even philosophically um, as well. Like I've always appreciated like the way that you approach decision making and stuff in life. Uh, and so to just really kick things off, you know, like I want to talk about the past, I want to talk about the present and also in the future, you know, and so one of the things that you shared just before we got on uh, was a story about yoga that has like changed, which is new to me because like I, I pretty much and yoga have not gone together <laughs> in my head. So like, I want to, I totally want to hear more about this. Yeah. I mean, I think most people would have, you know, that reaction people, pretty much and yoga don't go together mm -hmm. period. You know, I was this bulky, 
you know, power lifter, you know, lots of muscles, very inflexible, so on and so on. And pretty doing yoga is interesting, right? Um, and also I'm a guy and most guys, let's be honest, don't do yoga. They might laugh at it. They might be afraid of it. They might think it's not for them, whatever. However, um, I've been thinking of doing yoga for a while because I do lots of rock climbing and flexibility helps with that. I just never got the time to actually do it. You know, there's no really amazing yoga classes there in Slovenia. I've never got around to it. However, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I arrived to Kopangan in Thailand, which is the place that I go to um, every year for a couple of months to just work here and think and do strategic work, but then also to not just grow my business, but to grow myself. Like every time I go here, I want to become a better version of myself. Right. Amazing. So this this time around, um, I heard there was a really cool yoga place. And I said, because I can't really do a lot of climbing here, I might as well, you know, become more flexible. That was my intention for, for doing yoga. So I come in here and I go into a couple of classes and I get hooked because it was really interesting. It was cool. I could do a lot more of the things that I thought I could do. But I think the biggest shift really came um when I hired a private teacher to do yoga with. Yep. And because I was doing the classes, but they don't really teach you. You just do the yoga. They don't teach you how to do yoga much. When there's 20 other people, you don't really learn a whole lot. It's like, you know, you're doing something like you could be writing for a month, but without feedback, without guidance, Absolutely. you don't really get that much better, right? Yeah. So you need deliberate guided practice. Um, so this guy comes in like this spiritual yoga teacher, really cool guy can do all sorts of like crazy handstands, things like that. Found him on Instagram. He seems like the coolest teacher here. So he comes in here and he starts, you know, teaching me and my girlfriend Mansa, we, we do a private yoga class with him. Mm -hmm. But the thing that really stuck with me wasn't the technical parts of yoga, but it's the thing that, you know, people keep alluring to in all these classes that Yoga is not really about doing a certain pose perfectly or being more flexible. Like, yes, those are side benefits, but it's really about knowing yourself. And, you know, it's like working on your mental game. And I didn't really understand that initially, but now I'm starting to get it more and more, more, more and more. So the first thing is, it's really interesting when you do a yoga pose that's really challenging for you as like a very inflexible guy. Like the whole purpose of that is that you feel a lot of discomfort in your body. Uh, which can be very similar to the discomfort in your body you feel every time you feel anxious or mm. stressed out or unfocused. Okay. And yoga helps you calm your mind in those moments. Yeah. So it's like, a, you know, it's kind of some totally like yoga stuff. Like it's like a mantra that you repeat to yourself. It's like, you know, calm your mind, calm your mind, calm your mind. Mm. And so I started doing that. It was really interesting because like every time I feel like, you know, physical discomforts like calm my mind, I just become instantly so much more focused so much more relaxed like really like when you go for those uncomfortable poses even if you just like five ten minutes of a class when it's at its peak when it's the most challenging like it really gives you this feeling of confidence and calm and ease that you apply to your work as well so it's been really interesting because i've been doing yoga for a couple of weeks i haven't been doing it for a long time but yeah. i feel like i work in a completely different way than i did before because of that, you know, just perspective, just the mindset, it's like, okay, you know, it's challenging, but my mind can still be calm, no matter how challenged I feel like, you know, no matter the outside situation, no matter how stressed out I feel. So that was the first thing, big thing that really impacted me. Yeah. Second thing 
that I love about yoga that again, this teacher taught me is breathing. So mm -hmm. we as human beings breathe in a very wrong way. That's what I learned through a book. I think it's called breath. Um, amazing book. I loved it. It just really talks about how it's much better to uh, breathe for your nose than breathe for your mouth. And that book is a pretty good mindset shift. However, recently I realized I've been doing the breathing through the nose wrong. And I think lots oh. of people can relate to that. And you can actually self-test it right now. It's when you, you know, think about breathing through the nose, the thing that you do is you breathe with the nose, like you breathe with your nostrils. Mm -hmm. But that's not how you're supposed to breathe because that seems very forced. It's very, it's not calming. It's not relaxing. But if you do a quick quick shift and you breathe through your nostrils, not through your mouth, but you actually breathe from the throat, from your chest, so you do a breath like this. Wow. It's just so calming. It's insane. It's crazy. It's yeah, like it I literally like just tried it just now. That that is great. <laughs> it, it's insane. And and like it's just it's so cool. insane. It's such a small trick. It's such a small trick. It brings so much more awareness to you. So I do it. Yeah. I do it in the gym. I do it when I do yoga. I do it when I work. And I feel like 700% more calm throughout the day just because I changed the way that I breathe. That's it's, cool. it's a crazy game changer. And I don't know if that comes from yoga, I guess, like you said, it's connected to that, but like that lesson from this teacher is like, okay, this is worth like thousands of dollars to me right now. You know, first class I did with them. It's crazy. Oh, okay, everybody, you heard it here first. All right, we could just end right now. That was worth it. All right, cool. No, but like, that's, no, that's incredible because it's for so many reasons, right? Um, like I, you already know this, we've lifted before, we've gone to gyms and stuff together and and breath is something that I have not paid enough attention to because I've, I've had the experience of doing a heavy lift and then almost feeling the blood drain from my head and then like almost getting to the part of passing out, you know? And then I realized, oh, my breath was off. I, I wasn't even conscious that I was holding my breath during that lift. You know, and then same thing, like you said, it's like whenever you have, you know, stressors in the environment, it could be psychological, physical, like we unconsciously tense up, you know, and that happens when we're at work on a big project or whatever it is that we're working on. And so like, just even that piece there, like, uh, I'm going to be using that later on today. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's incredible, man. Um, wow. Thank you um, for sharing that. And there was something within there um, that you shared. Uh, that was like actually a really, really important piece that I wanted to dive a little bit uh, deeper on, which was deliberate guided practice. Like it was almost like a throwaway, but I was like, ooh, ooh, that piece. We need to, we need to circle back <laughs> that to that. That on me, yes. Because <laughs> that is so applicable to pretty much every single area of life, health, wealth, love, like all the areas and stuff uh, that matter, you know? And one of the things that I also wanted to talk uh, to you about you know, some people may know you as the man who went from $7 per hour to seven figure, you know, uh, co-founder of an agency. Um, but that, of course, doesn't happen with a, the deliberate guided practice, one guiding other people, you know, through leveling up in their own practice and then also finding like mentors uh, to be able to help you uh, level up in your own practice. And so I'm curious how did you do it? If you had to like leave breadcrumbs for somebody else who's maybe, you know, maybe they're starting out in their journey and they're trying to figure out how do I figure out my path, you know, to grow? 
how, what is the deliberate guided practice? What are the areas that they should be paying attention to on to be able to accomplish that? That's a good question. First of all, I think, not I think for me, it's like that. Um, life always brings you into, you know, new places that you never really expected. You can't plan your life out. I'm probably controversial in the sense that I'm not a big fan of goal setting at all, though everybody's supposed to do it. Um, I'm not a big fan of it. Why? Because so many things change that your goals change so frequently as well. I like the mindset of setting goals as a thermostat. Like, for example, let's say we're making oh, nice. 100,000 a year. If we you know, set a goal to make 120, that's easy. We're going to get it done you know, pretty easily. If we set a goal to a million a year, we have to shift our thinking. We cannot just put you know, 10 times more effort in that because that's not humanly possible. We have to start doing things differently. So from that aspect, I do like stretch goals. I do like stretch you know, KPIs, OKRs, all those frameworks that you can find on the internet for like, you know, setting um, milestones and things like that. But overall, I wouldn't say I'm a person that sets a lot of goals. Yes, we do it with a company, but Again, I a year from now, you know, it was the first time I came to Pangan. I've been to Thailand many more, many times in the past. But this was a decision, you know, it was during COVID. It was cold in Slovenia. My co-founder says, like, hey, why don't you don't come to Thailand? I'm like, okay, maybe I could. Um, a week from then, I was on a flight to Thailand, spent three months there, right? And my life was completely different. That was not planned out. I had completely different plans. Plans changed so much, right? But then, in hopefully, they changed for the better. Um, so I don't like to plan things ahead that much. So I can't say like, you know, oh, you know, this is exactly how I'm going to make it to a hundred million dollar company because probably the reality, the reality is going to be very different. Mm -hmm. However, I do believe that deliberate practice is one of the best ways to get there. Um, it's also one thing that I try to do in every area of my life that I want to get better at. So when I wanted to get better at powerlifting, I reached out to solid powerlifting guy, asked him to coach me one-on-one. -on -one. Um, when I wanted to get good at rock climbing, I contacted like the world climbing champion that just mm -hmm. retired, that was like dominating the industry for like a long time. And I started working together with her and she's been actually coaching me for almost like the last year or so oh, because wow. you progress nice. so much faster. And then again, here I come, I do a few yoga classes. Now I have my own private yoga trainer and then mm -hmm. also doing like a, training with him like an intense 50 hour training with him in a couple of weeks um because i wanna i enjoy the feeling of getting better at skills really really fast mm -hmm. and i do it all on my own personal satisfaction it kind of like becomes like my little obsession like i like seeing progress i like improvement mm -hmm. it's one of my biggest personality traits is um like if you if i do let's say a clifton strengths test or a gallup test yeah. or something like that like i the number one talent that this you know tests always give me is competitiveness like that is the <laughs> nice. single thing that's like oh, i'm a very very competitive it. person not yeah. in the way that i don't like losing i don't mind losing i'm okay with learning get it better it mm -hmm. actually fires me up to the better but there's something about winning a battle with myself you know Ooh. with just progress like it's like the times when i felt the most um dissatisfied in my life it was when I felt like I was stuck in the exact same place as half a year ago. The okay. times when I feel like the most at ease satisfied is where I feel like I'm growing, like I'm in a completely different place than like half a year ago, 
a year ago when I could look at some of my old work and say like, that's horrible. That's where I feel the most satisfaction. Like, oh, I learned something, you know, I'm better. You know, it could be like this minor thing, like improving your breathing, or it could be, you know, learning a lot about marketing. It doesn't really matter. And through all of that, you know, I tried to be as deliberate as possible. So get feedback, reflect, what could I be doing better? What could I be doing differently? And really seek brutally honest feedback. Like most people, they can't take negative feedback when it's brutal, when it's honest, it hurts their feelings. For me, like my talents are, most of them are not very emotional, even though I do care deeply about a lot of the things. And I care, especially when I feel like, you know, injustice is being done. I get very emotional about it. Um, however, where was I going with this? So ah, I, I, I got you. I got you. Like I've been tracking. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah, I got you. Look, yeah. There's a lot of gold in here. And I really, there's multiple threads that I want to uh, dig into. Like there's a couple of themes that um, are standing out to me. Uh, first, we started off with the concept of, you know, uh, deliberate guided practice. But one of the things that you yeah. shared in your story was, going specifically to like reach out to and find mentors it and who I would think of as subject matter experts in the domain that you're wanting to get better at. And one of the themes that has like guided your life that I heard is, you know, competitiveness. And I relate to that because one of my themes and like, if I were to pull up my uh, strength finders profile is achievement, you know, and I think, I think that's part of like why we've always like gotten yeah. along so well, you know, and it's like, same thing. I also relate to the, Hey, if I'm the same place that I was last year, it doesn't feel right. You know, like yeah. I want to progress. I want to get better, you know, and I, and I want to get better in these different areas of life, you know? And so like one of the uh, recurring themes there, I think is like growth. The other thing that I've seen you do that has been phenomenal over the years and something that's inspired me to get better at that is you actively seek out uh, constructive criticism, constructive yes. feedback so that you can then improve. You know, where other people may like, oh, gosh, you know, uh, I, I'm scared or, you know, whatever the negative feelings and stuff like you, you dive into the fire and yeah. you proactively ask for it. And I think that's been one of the superpowers that's allowed you to level up because like you combine that with the deliberate guided practice, reaching out to experts and then asking those experts proactively for, okay, where am I messing up with this? How do I make it better? Like it just, it just exponential growth is going to be like the predictable outcome there. And so I think that's beautiful. I've also seen you get very fired up. Um, and I think this is reflective of one of your core values um, of like uh, injustice. I would say another core value that we share in common um, is fairness. You know, I yeah. also feel like I, I get upset when I even see someone being unfair to themselves you know, and it's like, yeah. no, like that's whenever someone says something that's like, oh, that's not true about you, like dive in and tell them, you know, and so I think that's something that um, I always appreciated about you when we were on the same coaching team, you know, and it just helping people get better, you know, like we had like, like 800 or so people like in the group and like we we were sometimes on different calls and stuff together sometimes we'd, we'd be on the same call and like i always appreciated being able to bounce back and forward uh, with you on that and so one of the first questions though that got us down that thread um was what are some of the milestones i guess you could say that allowed you in your opinion to be able to go from seven to 
$7 per hour to like seven figure agency. Take us back in time. Like who was Primosh? Who was $7 per hour Primosh? What was he doing? How was he thinking? And then what inspired him to go on this growth journey? Yeah. So as I said, you know, in our pre-call, there's no, no, no limits here. You know, um, <laughs> I'm willing to talk about everything because one of my core values is, you know, just helping people in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might not think about it that way, especially, you know, when I write some of my copy, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's everything that I do in my life. It's to try to help people. So if that means, you know, sharing uncomfortable stories, I'm going to do that. It's yep. not about me. It's not, it's about them. It's about making an impact for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so who was pretty much before making $7 per hour, a uh, weird nerdy kid. Um, <laughs> people always told me I'm smart and talented that did not help me in any way. Um, that just put more pressure on me. And it was really, um, was, holding me back until I learned, you know, how to change my mindset into more of a growth mindset. Um, and when I was like a young kid, you know, I was getting like straight A's. I was, didn't have to study and everything like life was good. Um, it was like in primary school, I was winning like maths competitions at my school and things like that. So it's like, I was like, oh yeah, pretty much so good. But in, internally I didn't feel very good. One of the reasons why was because I lived um, half an hour away from my primary school. I had to take a bus um every day um which it's okay i don't mind but yeah. what it practically meant is you know school's over primer goes on the bus goes home he's alone um all of the other people are playing basketball they're having fun you know they're making friends mm-hmm. primer is at home playing video games and um mm-hmm. that you know because i it was exciting you know it was like oh you know there's a challenge you get better and everything but it was really, really bad for me because then I, you know, kept escaping into that like virtual reality and it was really not good for me. So even like in, in primary school, I started like skipping school to play videos games, like really, really bad. It was, you know, not fun. And then high school comes mm-hmm. like, okay, new chapter. Thanks late. But then the same thing kind of happens over and over again. Um, I was able to make some friends, but then I was bullied by a lot of people um you know because i was this like weird nerdy kid there was actually a facebook group called the primosh fan club designed to make fun of me oh uh yeah wow yeah there was there was some um there was some hard stuff you know going on there and then it was easier than to deal with that reality was to escape into other realities right combining that with um having my first you know um my first crush my first girlfriend and um like being really in love and then her leaving me that actually threw me into like a pretty long depression mm-hmm. was um, not fun, not good. Again, more avoiding school, more playing video games, things like that. So this mm-hmm. guy that, you know, was supposed to be really talented, really smart, whatever ends up um, failing the last year of high school because I didn't even take the final exam. Cause it was like, I was just like, I just didn't know how to handle anything. Um, mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it was difficult. And then lots of embarrassment, new class, new peers. He's the failure that failed the last class. Um, okay, I'm going to change that. I'm going to work really, really hard. Um, you know, I set a big goal for myself. At that time, I was setting goals. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go study um, in the UK. So I applied to all these, you know, top colleges. And um, in the UK, I got 
multiple offers, um, but all of them required me to have straight A's in subjects I wasn't interested in. Pressure got to me. Again, avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. And did take the final exams. I failed the final exams. I went to complain about one of my scores because I felt it was unfair. I passed by one point. I finished high school. Barely. <laughs> by one point. It's crazy. crazy. You've never heard this story before. I no, I haven't. <laughs> this is wild. So that's, yeah. you know, so that's like, you know, very, um, lots of conflicting things to, you know, compared to where I am right now. Yeah. So wrap up that chapter of my life, got out of depression. One of the reasons why I got out of depression was because I started doing some break dancing at that point. And I finally mm-hmm. met some people who I felt like, you know, uh, that really get me and they're, we're, we're still friends to this day. And it really helped me get kind of like all that rut. And then I start um, studying computer science. Why computer science? I was playing video games. Well, it's the thing I know how to do. I guess I would be interested in computers. Mm-hmm. So I spent a couple of years at uh, um, computer science university and did fairly well. Um, I did good. Never had like you know problems with exams, anything like that. That was those like you know things were things were looking up. Things were looking better. Um, so I focused on that for a while, but to be honest, I was never a good programmer. I was never, um, really excited about it. You know, I just followed the classes. I did the work, but well, I guess I learned a lot about maths and physics and things like that. I never learned how to code. So it's like a friend of mine, you know, who was also a break dancer, comes into the computer, you know, science, um, class leaves after two weeks, gets, you know, builds his own company, makes six figures in a year. He knew how to code much better than I did. He was like, you know, when I was like first, um, first or second year of uh, college, he was like 15 years old. He already knew how to code better than uh, me, right? So that was yeah, wow. not, that was the career that was not meant to be. <laughs> I'm gonna jump ahead just a little bit, but like just how that story ended was, um, I came to a point where I already had a business, which I'll talk about in, uh, in a, you know, like how that that came to happen. And this is where injustice comes in. <laughs> oh, okay. So I have this business. I'm earning a couple of thousand dollars a month, um, more than the average salary in Slovenia, a couple of times more than the average salary in Slovenia. I mean, my last year of college, I just have to basically do, I think like two more exams and um, write my well, kind of like thesis thingy to basically graduate. And I joined an entrepreneurship class because I was interested in entrepreneurship. And I come in there and it's like, okay, I'm excited. First, first hour, first class. And they're like, well, your job over the next year is going to be to write a business plan. Like, okay, cool, exciting, let's do this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they tell me how to do it. I'm like, that's not how things work at all. That is just, that is just so misguided that that doesn't work at all. That, that just, it was like, just Mm -hmm. so backwards, like no market research, no testing, just doing a bunch of things in spreadsheets, you know, just calculations, like calculating costs. Like, but how about validating an idea? How about getting your first clients? Like, Oh, okay. And then I said, well, what about if I present my own business and like, you know, cause I've already built a business. Can I talk about that? Can I present how I did it? They were like, Nope, you have to follow these rules, these guidelines. I was like, okay. So basically you're telling me I could spend the next year working on an imaginative business plan. That's, you know, outdated by 20, 30, 50 years. Or I could be spending my energy actually building and growing a business. Mm, I'm going to choose the latter option for a year and see how things work out. And a couple of months from then, I'm I'm almost like on the way to make six figures. 
So yeah, so that's how that story ended, but I jumped through like one of the parts. I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. So in mm -hmm. the meanwhile, I mean, like the second, you know, one year ago, one year before that, um, after the second year of college, I'm working at a summer job. Um, I'm programming, well, not really even programming. I'm just basically testing some antivirus software for bugs. I'm doing that. I'm doing a good job because I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is cool. I, I want to do good things, right? Um, so I'm doing that. And then I have this conversation with uh, one of the senior developers who was like working in the same cubicle during launch break. And I was like, okay, so who are you? What's your story? And turns out he was actually one of the first um, developers in Slovenia. Oh. He developed the Slovenia's first video game. It's like mm -hmm. one of the first employees of the company. The company at that point was like 500 employees. So he joined there. He had his own team. He worked on the best projects. He was getting paid well. And that was 15 years ago. Um, in that moment. So we're having a conversation. It's like, okay, interesting, interesting. What are you working on now? Well, I'm working on the same project as you are, just doing a little bit more high-level stuff. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And I don't know why I just asked him, so, so what's your salary? And he tells me, I was at the company for four months at that time. He's making less money than I am. <sighs> so in that one moment, I'm like, well, first of all, I asked him, so, but that makes no sense. Why are you doing this? Why don't you, if you have so much knowledge, why don't you start your own company, start your own business? Like, why don't you do something about it? And he's like, look, I get you. And you should absolutely do something like that. <laughs> However, I have a wife, I have kids, I have bills to pay. I don't want to take that risk. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was like, that's not where I want to end up. I need to yeah. change things. I want to change something. I don't want other people to be in control of my schedule, my future. I don't want to end up in 15 years in a cubicle like this, where this new guy comes from college and he's making more money than I am. Like, why? What, what's the point? Like, what, what am I ever going to create, you know, in the world by doing that? Like, I, I felt like I wanted to do something more. Didn't quite know what that more was. Yeah. But it's like, I, I knew I, I was meant for a little bit more than that, right? Um, so I'm going to dive in here. So was that um, the, so there's a couple of things, right? Like, which one of those was like the seven dollar per hour? This um, was the seven dollar per hour. That was job. I was making seven. Hour. He was making six or five. Oh shit! <laughs> it's crazy. I, mean, I was making a little bit more than the average salary in Slovenia, which at yeah. that point was like a thousand dollars per month, um, basically. Yeah. And and then you go from seven dollars per hour to over six figures. Tell us that story. How does that happen? Yeah. So I quit the next day. <laughs> they want to keep me. They want to raise my salary. I'm like, no. Um, my mind. It's like when I yep. decide something, I usually follow through with it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I have some savings. I'm young enough. I still with my parents. Um, I want to do something. I try a couple of different business ideas. Most of them failed. Not as easy to build a business in, you know, um, practices this in theory, but you have a great, you know, course that I think we both did like uh, Armand Cable to Baby McSetti. He basically introduced me to his whole, this whole concept of freelancing and having your own business and how it works, how to get clients, you know, things like that. So it gave me a great foundation. Right? So I go for a couple of different business ideas and then um, none of them really work out. Tried to build some websites, tried to do some productivity coaching for companies. Um, didn't really work out. And then 
one morning, uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, it was still dark in the room. I get this crazy idea. It's like, okay, so I know because I've been reading lots of productivity books that people value productivity in the business space. It's like the more productive we are, the more money you can make, right? And then in my high school years, I did play some online poker. I was active in like a community. I was making a little bit of money with that. Um, and I liked it because it was math, because it was a challenge, you know, it was all like statistics and like looking at these numbers and things like that. It was not like, you know, this gambling style. It was just like pure mathematics. And, but then I stopped doing that, um, cause I didn't really feel like that's what I, you know, wanted to do forever. Um, but then I got the idea, why don't I teach online poker players how to be more productive? I mean, you know, if they're more productive. Mm-hmm. they make more money. I Google it. Nobody's doing that. And it's like, okay, so maybe it's a great idea. Maybe it's a horrible idea. Who knows? In that same moment, so it's 6 a.m. Like there's still, there's still proof of this on the internet, by the way. <laughs> um, like I started writing this forum post. I call it like the ultimate guide to productivity for um, poker players. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you Google ultimate guide to productivity, you, you'll, you'll find it. And um, I started writing this post. Um, I just share some of the basic stuff, like goal setting creating a vision you know all those things nutrition and things like that just like very basic things to be more productive and i go to sleep um like i finished writing at like 7 8 a.m i go to sleep sleep till like 11 wake up look at the forum expecting nothing but then like 10 people are commenting like wow this is amazing keep writing like i'm subscribing to this thread they're like wow this is amazing i was like okay that's that's pretty cool. So I just kept writing, kept writing, kept writing, kept sharing valuable advice, just everything I learned from, you know, the books that I read. There was nothing new. There was nothing unique. There was nothing original. It was just bringing knowledge from another industry to, you know, this industry. And within two weeks, um, there's a guy who reaches out to me. He's like, hey, I really like what you're writing. You know, I'm a professional poker player. Can you help me? I'm like, yeah, how? Well, I want to hire you for coaching. What's your price? I'm like, uh, I don't know. 50 bucks per hour and i was like 100 <laughs> percent. there's no way there's no way yeah. and he's like okay can i take like a package of like 10 lessons I'm like nice you want to give me 500 dollars um okay this is where you can send me the money <laughs> so um that happened so all of a sudden i went from making seven dollars per hour to 50 dollars per hour of nice. course i wasn't working you know so many hours but 50 dollars per hour at that point was uh, dinner for two people in one of the best restaurants in Ljubljana. Um, it was amazing. Like from one hour of work to be able to do it, I was like, wow, this is great. This is crazy. And then the same story repeats itself. A week from then, a week from then, people start hiring me. I was like, okay, this is great. So I actually write to that online poker form, like an online poker school. And I'm like, hey, people like this content. They're commenting. Like thousands of people are already watching this thread. Maybe what if I make some videos for you guys? And they're like, okay, sure. So I started making educational videos for them. And I started getting paid 50 bucks per hour, 100 bucks per hour. I was like, okay, that's that's pretty good. You know, I'm not, again, I'm not still working that many hours, but I'm earning like a couple of thousand dollars a month. And that's great. I keep increasing my rates. I go from $50 per hour, 100, 125, 150, 175, 200, stopped at $400 per hour. So like crazy. You know, nice. I was just, all I was doing is like learning, mm-hmm. sharing knowledge in every possible way that I could, and then pushing the limits a little bit to see like, you know, how far can I go? Where's yep. the sweet spot? So I was able to do that. Um, and all the, in this time uh, was crazy. Like this guy that I wrote in English language, it got like what 500,000 views. 
mm-hmm. um, something like that. Hundreds of comments. People loved it so much. They translated it by themselves into <laughs> other languages because there were nice. other sections of the forum. The guide was translated into seven other languages from like Italian, German, Spanish. People were just doing, they were like, we love this stuff. Can we translate it? Cool. Yeah, go ahead. The videos that I recorded got millions of views. It was amazing. Like, you know, like to make that kind of an impact, like that felt better than testing some antivirus software. Nice. And yeah, I was making some money. I was making a couple of thousand dollars a month, which was good. And then um, started learning more about business. I went to this event from Remit City called the 100K Summit. Yes. Um, I was supposed to take it to six figures, you know, from a couple of thousand dollars a month. It was perfect for me. So I wasn't really, you know, doing that good with money. I was didn't really know how to manage my finances that well at that point. Um, because I also enjoyed, you know, living the life and, you know, so I, this event was $5,000, um, which was basically like a two month salary for me, plus flights, plus accommodation. And um, it was a stretch to pay like, you know, quite a lot of money, multiple thousand dollars for that. And I could pay the, pay the conference. I could mm-hmm. pay my flights um, in economy class. I could, um, I couldn't pay a taxi. I couldn't pay an Uber. I actually had to take like the the tram from JFK, um, and then I had to go couch surfing in Chinatown. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there was no money left for hotels because like hotels were like 150 bucks per yeah. per night yeah, at that yeah. time. It was like probably like a big conference around that time. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, I want to go here. So you know, <laughs> you do what you can. Yeah. Um, but I make it there. Um, so it was a couple of days event. I come prepared with millions of different questions. Um, I ask everything that I can. I take vigorous notes. And within a month from that, or I implement everything I learned. I come back to another conference in the US. This time I'm flying business class nice. because I've three X my revenue my monthly revenue in a single month and that just stayed there because I just <laughs> implemented like all the stuff that I learned along the way. Nice. And yeah, it was basic things. It was like, you know, start creating some retainers, you know, start creating some, you know, packages, not charging hourly rates, things like that, how to add more value, create some digital products, things like that. Like I was doing a lot of stuff like that and yeah, everything that I did kind of worked. So that's how, you know, I hit six figures. That is incredible because what I hear within that is there's so many internal and external transformations within that story that has to happen. The going from the $7 per hour to, you know, a hundred K like first there was the jump to like the 50, you know, per hour, like that's a massive jump in and of itself. And then, you know, going down this um, alternative entrepreneurship journey with new media and connecting through people online. And it sounds like um, some people will recognize this term, really going into the world of uh, consulting, more specifically independent consulting and what I would call modern consulting. You know, it's like living this life on our terms, working with who we want to work with, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's something that we're usually passionate, interested about, and there's a lot of growth that's happening as well. Uh, and it's just really incredible that 
you were able to do that in such a short space of time and also be cognizant of, hey, well, maybe there are also some uh, trappings here with like, you know, money management and figuring that out. And it's just like there's 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 this um, theme of, you know, where it's almost like if we were to draw, you know, it's like up, down, up, down. But tra- trajectory is still like upward uh, momentum. And so it's it's a really incredible journey, particularly for those who are listening to this interview, who I know, um, like me, come from what some people describe as like third world countries, where it's like the amount of money that you make is like really low. And you hear about these high numbers uh, in the United States and, you know, uh, first world countries and everything. And it's just like, whoa, was that even possible? You know, so I just want to dig in on that piece. Like, what what was going through your mind when like you realized that you were either on the trajectory to or had gotten to the six figure mark? Yeah. Um, well, most financial advice books wouldn't <laughs> tell to do this. For me, it was like, this is great. How can I do better? You know, how can I learn more? So I actually invested the vast majority of my income, like 50K plus a year, um, maybe even like 70K a year into improving myself in any way that I could. Um, I would fly to New York every month to meet my mentors, to ask them a couple of questions. I remember. To grab, to grab lunch. Um, I would fly out to as many conferences as I could. I bought all the courses that I could. Um, you know, I hired coaches. Mm-hmm. I would join $25,000 masterminds. Um, I would just invest, invest, invest that money um, because I knew if I kept doing what I was doing, which was just implementing everything that I learned, it should keep going up. Um, so it was like from one of my mentors, I heard like, you know, the best investment you can make is in yourself. And I, I lived by that. I was like, you know, I don't have huge expenses in Slovenia. Um, I didn't feel the need to save up for an apartment, something like that at, at that point. And I thought like, look, I'm young, I can take risks and I feel like I'm never going to regret investing in myself. So that's where, you know, that's how I was thinking about it. Like, of course, there was also like, you know, business class flights when, you know, they were far cheaper than like I would pay $200 for an upgrade to business class for like transatlantic flight, nothing that crazy. Um, but yeah, I started, you know, being in better hotels, like um, traveling to Thailand, to um, Caribbean, to all of like these crazy places. Um, we're actually in Caribbean together, right? In Nevis. um were we we weren't um we weren't you were another time this is foreshadowing of when you will eventually come to jamaica that's what i'm hearing is we're gonna have a jamaica retreat um at some point in the future don't worry it 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 will happen and the invites will go out we're we're, this this needs to happen is this select this is my thing i I can (laughs) i can i can i can remember the weirdest things like the weirdest specs from like years ago and then my mind also makes things up that actually never happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like taking this retreat with you. Um, but I am looking forward to that jerk chicken that you, you've been promising yes. me for years. Uh-huh. So um, uh-huh. we're, we're doing it's, that. It's not, it's not, I'm telling you, man, whether it's DC or it's in Jamaica, it's, it, it will be a thing. Uh, there's something, there's another part of the journey that um, I want to dive into uh, with you. 
which is uh, you mentioned going to like, say, the 100K uh, summit with Ramin. I remember so many people who were at that summit, and I would actually go on to become uh, great friends with many people who were in that room. Uh, and I also know the uh, program uh, that was eventually launched out of like the 100K summit. You know, it's like Earn 1K and then became like the 100K summit because you had so many people who were doing so well with like the consulting outside of it. Uh, and that was like, uh, it connected many of us. Uh, so tell us about how you continued to meet with Ramit and eventually work with Ramit. How did that happen? So that that all went really quickly because you know I was meeting him basically almost every month because I was flying to US all the time, going to all these events, and when every time I saw him, I told him about the results that I got. Right. And um, he liked that. I mean, every person that runs any sort of a business likes people who have success stories, testimonials, things like that. And, you know, he recorded some of them like with an iPhone. It was like kind of cool. And then he featured in, in some of the stuff. But then also he kind of took notice that like I was like this really young, weird guy from Slovenia with like this really strong accent. Because um, <laughs> just taking action, taking action, taking action. There weren't many people like that. And a lot of people were inspired by my story and then they started their own business. It was great. Um, so at first we did a small thing together where I just managed like actually the six figure consulting community, yes, which was I like the, what the hundred K summit became. Yep. Um, so I did that for a while, but then I kind of like had other stuff to focus on. So we parted ways there. However, you know, in the meanwhile, I started my own business. I joined another program that he had and started selling more digital products. So this time I went actually out of the poker niche because I didn't want to spend my whole life helping poker players because I felt like this is great, but there's all these amazing people that I'm meeting. They're actually making a difference in the world. I'm not. Mm. Um, I didn't feel like I was, you know, by helping these people just make a lot more money and take it from people who don't really know how to play poker, right? So I felt like I was, again, meant for like more and... Um, so I started teaching productivity for to people like entrepreneurs, executives. It wasn't really a great niche at that time, but it was still early on. I think that was around 2013, 14, when you could just create a blog and you just start getting traffic. It was crazy. Like <laughs> um, you know, start, you post something on Facebook, you get a couple yeah. of hundred email subscribers. Like just it was yeah. crazy times. Yeah. So it was, again, just right. learning, enjoying, and um, creating these digital products. And at that point, like there were multiple times in my life where and the earnings that I would make would take a hit and I knew that would happen multiple times. You know, I had to mm. stay, take one step backward to take two steps forward. Like that's what happened when I went out of the poker niche, you know, I had, I kept the clients that I had, but I started saying no to new clients so I could um, make space for all the work that I essentially wanted to do. Right. So revenue would take a hit. Um, so I built up this new business and then there was this opportunity because they were looking for like somebody to teach other people how to do this as well, like how to build their own online businesses. Mm -hmm. And I thought at that point that I was maybe a little bit underqualified, but I really liked the idea of, you know, working with one of my mentors that taught me so many things. Like that felt really exciting. So I applied to the position and I said, even though I might not be the most qualified person in the world, I'm going to work my ass off to get this job. So I message all my friends, um, you know, who have gotten like jobs at like Google, Apple, Facebook that I met for this community that I was part mm -hmm. of. It's like, how'd you do it? Can you help me? Can you look at my, you know, application? Yeah. So I spent two weeks putting together this application. I created like this 30 day strategic plan for like, if I was to get this role, this is what we do over like the next 
actually it was like 90 days, right? Mm-hmm. And I created this like 30 page Google doc and I, I had Ramit's email. So I just, I just emailed it to him in the application. I said like, um, I'm not gonna answer these questions but you can look at this document that answers all of your questions. So I do that, like hear radio silence for a couple of weeks and then they're like, um, one of the hiring managers reaches out and is like, hey, we wanna talk to you. And they offered me this job. And at that point, I was actually taking a revenue hit again for the second time mm-hmm. because I knew that if I just focused on growing my business at that point, I would get to like two, 300K a year pretty quickly, mm-hmm. you know, based on how things were going. And I was getting paid less than six figures when, you know, working with me. So I was taking a revenue hit, but I was like, hey, if I'm ever going to do this, you know, invest a couple of years in my life, again, invest in myself, invest my mm-hmm. time into that um like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity so yep. no matter how hard it was to again leave my business behind and do something new i was like yeah you know sign me up you know i thought about it i slept over it but i was like yeah i'm definitely doing that and that's how we uh, started working together and that's how we actually started working together yep. later on um mm-hmm. over the next uh, two years and one week Mm. Yeah. <laughs> i remember uh, all the weird details oh gosh it's it's so funny because like I, I i remember how excited the community was when they announced that you were gonna be coaching like like it 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 it, it was it was needed you know and it brought this energy you know to the community and they're like oh perfect fit oh my god yes you know and then i remember uh when you know you you worked, you answered, you were all in on answering everybody's questions. And, and again, like people just saw how passionate you were and how detailed you were about making sure that everyone got their questions answered. Everyone was moving forward on this path towards transformation, not just um, business transformational, but personal transformation, because, you know, through the world of personal development, like it's it, for us on this entrepreneurial journey, like it's, it, for us to be able to have the business breakthroughs very often, we need to have like these personal breakthroughs. And I would see you on the calls doing that with people. And it was very inspiring. Uh, and so then when the, you, you had made the post about, you know, uh, hey, you know, if we had to hire like someone else, like who, what kind of support would you need? You know, and then everyone's just like, oh, my God, like, you know, copywriting. And, da, 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 da. and then I remember like, you know, it's just like, actually. I think this would be kind of fun, actually. Like, and then I remember like messaging you. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my God, yeah, that would be like a perfect fit. But yes, we need to go through the formal process. But like <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, and then yeah, like we started working together. And then it's you know, and then we eventually added like other coaches and stuff to the team. But it was it was an exciting time. Um I grew personally through working with you. And then it was just so much fun to, you know, we travel to conferences together. Ramit then starts hosting like Forefront and, you know, and then, then we're on stage together and it's just this uh, amazing time, you know? Uh, and I really liked what you said within that about being willing to take a step back so that you can take two or three steps forward. You know, it's like, it's not always about, you know, let me just try to double my rates, you know, and, and continue to level up. You know, it's like, sometimes you have to make an investment, you know, to be able to grow yourself, to be able to get to the next level. And I saw you do it. Uh, and I saw you level up as a manager, as a coach in so many uh, different areas that, now it seems like you've then even doubled down on those skills, like even further to then make the jump from 
six figures to then seven figures, which is a part of the story I absolutely want to dive into. Uh, but before we do, like, you know, tell us more about, you know, uh, uh, eventually, you know, uh, parting ways again, you know, with Ramit uh, and then going on your own, you know, like what happened there? Why? How do we now get to the next stage of like, you know, Primaj's journey? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not breaking any NDAs anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. That's a joke. Um, yeah, 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 I got you. Those two years were definitely some of the most fun, exciting, impactful years of my life. Um, just working UN with with Diana together was like so fun. Like you know, we had this group chat um, called "Best Team Ever." Uh, yep. We, I, I felt like we were an amazing team. I love working with you guys. Absolutely. It was like so fun. Like three people, three different time zones, almost three different continents. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Jamaica, yeah. Spain, and, and Slovenia. Like that was so much Fantastic. fun. And, yeah. you know, I felt like I, I learned so much from working with all these amazing driven students. Um, it really helped me see, you know, basically like 800 businesses. And actually more than that, it was like more than a thousand. Yeah. Because, you know, some people came, some people left. Yep. And was amazing because it helped me get better at business because I could see at scale what works and what doesn't, which ideas work, which ideas fail, what the people that succeed have in you know, common, what do the outliers have in common, you know, what's different with the people that went on to actually build seven-figure businesses at that time very, very quickly. Um, like that was a very interesting experience. Also working with Rumit was, you know, during those studies was absolutely amazing. Like he would always make time for me when I came to, you know, US would go for a walk, would go for lunch. Um, you know, he'd always be there for me, available whenever I needed his support. And I didn't realize at that point how much I really learned. Um, because you don't really, you know, that's the thing that, you know, I talk about sometimes. You don't really see progress day to day. I always talk that about that with my team members. It's like, you know, maybe you don't feel like you're improving right now, but you're going to see progress a month from now and you're going to look at your old copy, your old content, you know, hopefully if we're doing a good job, you'll see that it's a night and day difference, right? Mm -hmm. So during that time, I was just listening, learning. I was like a sponge, just, you know, absorbing everything from Remit, from the growth hacking team, from the copywriting team, from anybody, you know, that managed me. It was like amazing. We would go to this, um, retreats once a year like we went to vegas mm -hmm. i remember we were at the bellagio getting bottle service like in a club with like a <laughs> view of the fountain way too expensive bottle service once a year, <laughs> experience. i don't think i'll be paying for that ever but i'm appreciative <laughs> that i got the opportunity to do that then yeah. went to you know places like portland and did another retreat like it was really amazing to see like you know this fast growing company like this fast growing startup um multi-million dollar company and at that point still relatively small and then, um, you know, we start to grow. And I know from my own experience how difficult growing and scaling a business can be and the dangers of, you know, scaling too fast, especially if something like the economy breaks or the industry breaks or something like that can be very, very challenging. So, you know, I really enjoyed working in, in that accelerator program, you know, and leading that program. However, you know, in the past couple of months, I didn't really feel like, you know, I started to get this feeling that that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. The company got way bigger. Things were less personal. You know, some people that I love working with left, new people joined. Um, and at one point, you know, I just, 
I had this conversation with another mentor of mine in New York City. We we're just going for a walk in Central Park, and I was like, he was like, "What's up? You you, you seem different today." I was like, "I don't know, something's mm. bugging me. Can I talk to you about it?" And he was like, "Yeah, go ahead." And I told him, you know, how I just wasn't feeling that fire, that desire to learn, that feeling like you know I had a lot more to learn, and I didn't really feel that, you know, yeah, again that fire, that drive that um, I felt in the in the past, and then. That combined with some injustice going on um, that I didn't really feel that good about, which in the grand scheme of things, I get it. You know, like now that I know the big picture, you know, mm -hmm. I know that when I left the company, it probably wasn't the best time for the company because the industry of online courses kind of shifted, you know, just around that time, like this bubble kind of burst. And some things that were working really well weren't working so well. So there, you know, there had to be cost cutting and things like that, like in every company. Like I had no idea what was happening. I just felt like, you know, I wasn't so taken care of as I was in the first, you know, one year and nine months. And then I saw, you know, things that we agreed on couldn't happen, you know, and I wanted to fight for myself, fight for our team, but nothing was really happening. Some of the leadership changed. And so I felt like, why am I putting all this effort into something that I'm not sure it's really, you know, so I wanna, I wanna, something I wanna, that I want to continue with. Yeah. I, I want to I dive in here um, because... I want to see if we can get to the perspective of how you looked at it then versus how you looked at it in the future, because you shared something just now where it sounded like there was a perspective shift, like, oh, you know, afterwards, like you got it, you understood why these things may have happened. And then versus like how you looked at it before. And the reason why I want to ask that question is because there may be like one of the modern consultants who are out there right now, who's like, okay, how do I navigate that? How might I be thinking about it if I'm in that situation? And how might I then come to reflect on it? You know, and what can they learn from the shift in your perspective, how you got there? So I'm, I'm curious to just go a little bit deeper on like what happened, how you thought about then, and then also how you eventually thought about it in the future. Yeah, so again, like, you know, there was like all of this cutting of costs and I felt like, you know, like I wanted to build this business that was a multi-billion dollar business within a business, right? You know, okay. it was like we had this coaching program and I was like, I wanted to do everything. But then, for example, I couldn't go to an annual strategy retreat where the whole company would go because, you know, I was from Slovenia and I was a freelancer, not an employee, right? I see, got it. Yeah. And I was like, how can I build a multi-million dollar business without knowing what's the vision for this company, without knowing the strategy, without being immersed mm -hmm. here? I was like, that made no sense to me. I didn't understand it. I yeah. felt it was not fair. I fought to make it happen. It did not happen. And at that point, I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know what to do. So at that point, I, I wasn't thinking, why might this be happening? I thought it was like, well, you know, just bureaucracy. Like that was my that was my scope there. I was still like what 25, 24 years old, so still you know, fairly fairly young and inexperienced. And how I look at it now, I mean, I know that you know if I was in this position, um, and you know I have actually been in this position where our company was struggling financially, um, where we were in the red, you know, a couple of months. You know, I knew I. I actually had to fire some good people. Um, was really, really difficult to do that. I had to do it. 
And like now that I'm thinking about it, it's like it must not have been easy for them to make those decisions, but it was no other way. Right. Even though to me it was like invest in a business that's making your money. It's like, yeah, you know, that's true on paper. That makes a lot of sense. But you know, when a company is in crisis, I don't know the full situation. I don't know if it is, you know, if it was in crisis, but I know where our company was in crisis. Yep. We had to get out of crisis immediately yep. and take measures that might not seem fair, that might not seem good, that did not make people happy. We had to go for that. And now I can see the perspective, you know, by going through mm. this experience myself, but being on the other side. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, I could have really done anything different. I wouldn't have wanted to do anything different. I felt like two years and one week was the perfect time to stay, you know, with Remit's company. Yeah. I think it was a great decision at that point. And also we parted away on like, you know, good terms. Like, you know, we tried to make things work. We had a call. I didn't just say I'm quitting. I wanted to make things work. We had like calls, but just couldn't find like a common a common language, right? We had negotiations, we had conversations, but we couldn't make things work. Um, so it was just like an unfortunate situation. You know, it I, happened, but I wouldn't really change much. I, I appreciated what you said um, about that distinction, about, you know, um, not being sure if like company was in crisis, but like you uh, when you went through the experience later on, like you knew that that was like your thinking and then being able to go back and then look at things from his perspective. I think that is yeah. fair. Which so the reason, goes, the, reason yeah. why I'm, the reason why I'm saying this is because later on I went, you know, to one of Remy's like events where I think we actually spoke at that event. Um, well, I was on like a hot seat on that event, like the forefront, like the next year. Like mm-hmm. Remy actually mentioned that they had to go for a lot of playoffs. So it's actually like, you know, it was a more public mm-hmm. thing. So that's, um, yes. you know, yes. yep. like, the, so that's like, that's when it started to make sense. Like, oh shit, you know, the company mm-hmm. might not have been doing that well. Because he said like, you know, it was a hard time. They had to go for a lot of layoffs. And so I was like, and I was like, oh, now it's starting to, you know, make more sense. Um, but then now I actually have been gone through this myself. I get it even more. Um, so that's just like, you know, that context in between, um, you know, something must like, and again, I do know that the market really crashed for a lot of people who basically closed down their businesses around mm-hmm. that time. Um, mm-hmm. so now, you know, again, see the big picture afterwards, like the breadcrumbs keep coming together. Um, that is a very, um, it's a very, it, it shows the difference in your mindset of, like you said, 24-year-old primage versus you now have more years, more life experience, more business experience, and also, uh, yeah, just having gone through it yourself to be able to look at it from the perspective of uh, a business owner that uh, basically has empathy, you know, for the difficulties of uh, entrepreneurship. You know, um, and I, I really appreciate that. Let's if we if we go um like a little a little further out, you know, from the perspective of some people on the internet, you and Ramit may have had a falling out. What's your perspective on that? Uh I don't think we ever had a falling off. Okay. Falling out. Um like if I was completely honest, so, you know, I left the company and when I did, I don't think things were ever quite the same, you know, between us. We never had like a argument, falling out, anything like that. 
Um, but things weren't the same because maybe he, you know, if I'm being empathetic here, maybe he really, you know, he invests a lot of time and effort into me. It's like, you know, if I invest two years of my life into training, a, you know, really good employee, I'm going to be sad when they leave, you know, um, if we can't, you know, and especially like if I want to keep them, but I can't because of, you know, other external reasons, like, you know, financials and things like that. Um, and I think he, you know, also at that point was probably growing as a person. Like, I think, you know, he's worked so much on himself. So I'm not sure, you know, what his perspective was on that. And I don't think he would ever reveal what his perspective was. But, you know, we still met. We still had some good conversations afterwards, but we didn't have them as often or as frequently, you know. It was the same. It was definitely not the same working with the company and then being like one of the ex-employees i would say it was like a different experience for us why that was i can't say um because i would have to hear you know his perspective of the story um but yeah we never really had any sort of like a big fight or anything it was just like yeah um went our own ways had some good conversation afterwards yeah so it sounds professional like at the end of the day you know like when in yeah. the way that things yeah. had ended um, no it was like as far as i know like looking at even like now um there was nothing really off about it i think it was just like this sadness disappointed that this disappointment that you invested like you know a lot of time and effort into something and maybe things don't go the way they wanted to go mm. um you know it probably wasn't a good feeling for him and if his company was struggling financially at the time he must have had a whole lot of other shit going on you know that kept him up at night you know so it's like, yeah, lots of things. I would just be guessing right now. Um, yeah, that, but yeah, that I is, can just be feel empathy. Yeah, that that is um, that's fair, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that and clarifying that. Um, and what I can say is that the experience that you just shared is something that I've heard um, reflected back. Uh, one of the things that I've always appreciated about him is. Uh, he has always been willing to have difficult conversations, both publicly and privately. Um, and that's not something that I think gets a lot of airplay, uh, but it's always something uh, that I've respected um, about Ramit. Um, he is always, I've seen him do it where he didn't have to have the conversation, but he chooses to have it, to confront and to, to have ultimately what people might describe as healthy conflict, you know, so that even if things aren't, you know, um, uh, not exactly going to hug it out at the end, but it's amicable, it's fair, essentially, um, as best as possible. Uh, and so I think if anything, I, I would say uh, that is a core value that the three of us uh, share. Um, and I think that's something that uh, continues to be true to this day, you know, and going past that moment now, you know, how do we go from six-figure premage to seven-figure premage? What's going on there? Because that's another gigantic, that's a 10x jump, man. Like, what, what's going on there? Tell us more. So I stopped working at Remit and um, I refocused back on my own business, which, you know, I didn't really touch almost at all um, during like the two years when I worked with Remit. I was like do some coaching, do a little bit of things like that on the side, write some blog posts once in a while when I had like the extra time on the weekend. 
but they wouldn't really work hard on my business during that time. However, because I was writing like this really long article, this is ultimate guys that I started writing in the beginning, I was getting more and more traffic and more, more email subscribers for my website. And, you know, when I started um, writing to my email listing, and there were actually a lot of new people who were excited to hear from me. And I was like, hey, you know, like I'm taking on some new coaching clients. People would just flood in. They would just say like, yeah, I want to work with you. I want to work with you for a year. I want to work with you for multiple months. I don't care what your price is. You know, let's start working together. So I was not out of, you know, job for a very long time. Um, and I started teaching this skill of like ultimate guys because I saw how valuable they were for my business. I started mm-hmm. teaching that to, you know, more people. So that turned into like a six-figure online business, just like teaching ultimate guides and then later on teaching some copywriting and things like that. I did that for a couple of years. Um, just working with my email is not nothing huge, nothing at a large scale, but like just trying to do like really premium products, premium courses, delivering like a good service, lots of value. You know, the clients that I work with, I would work with like for multiple years um, because they saw the value. I loved working with them. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then there was this moment where I again felt like I was kind of like stuck in the same place and I didn't really know how to move forward. And I was feeling like, okay, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? And I started thinking about doing some marketing in Slovenia, but everything you know told me not to do it all the people that i knew they said it's a bad market um nobody even wants to use a credit card in slovenia people have very low income there's no money to be made there Mm -hmm. so like you know i actually avoided it for a very long time but then i sent a just randomly, I just sent a message to one of my friends um, asking like, hey, what's the online course situation like in Slovenia? And he was like, well, let's get on a call. I'm like, okay. So 10 minutes later, we meet on Skype. And he's like, so I have this business opportunity. I want to build an online course agency in Slovenia where we partner with experts. We record online courses. We sell them for them. Like, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. A week from then, um, we have our first three calls with three potential clients. Uh, we close all of them very easily. Um, three weeks from then, we have gone into the studio, recorded the parenting course, and yeah. sold it to an email list and made 15K with that. Nice. How to big was email the email list? list? Like Just curious. Yeah. 2,000 yeah. people. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Very, very. And it was like... A, $47 product. So that was, it was crazy. Like the converse, everything was going through the roof. No Facebook ads, just the email list. <laughs> I was like, okay, there's something there. And, you know, as luck would have it, like um, my co-founder, he actually already had a team. He had a tourism company. Um, and because of COVID, basically everything got shut down in Slovenia. Yeah. So he had this team. He had like a developer, a designer, like a project manager, um, customer support finance. He had like the whole system, everything set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point I was actually working in the Netherlands. So we were doing this whole thing remotely. I was living in the Netherlands together with my girlfriend because she had a, she had a job there and we did this whole thing remotely. Like they were shooting courses in Slovenia. They were sending me like these photos, things like that. And we tried, you know, a bunch of different business ideas. Like we tried fitness, we tried relationships, everything, but like parenting was the one thing that consistently outperformed everything else. So in that first year, like from June to December, we were able to 
make um, 212k in revenue um, nice. in the first year in a market where you couldn't make money online, where nobody wanted to use credit cards, right? That's crazy. That's uh, so I, that was like I, that. That was like that. <laughs> so the, I want to dive in on on this piece because uh, I I can hear in my brain some of like my marketing agency friends like wait 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 go back T- tell us more about like the structure of the team. It was really cool that you shared like, okay, here's the kind of team and stuff that he had in place. What was your role, would you say, uh, in, in helping uh, to do this? Like if someone was trying to like reverse engineer, like they're at the 100K like consulting part and they're thinking, okay, I want to go to the seven figure agency. You know, what are the skill sets that are required? Who's required? Um, where do I fit in, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because I never thought I would actually do a company together with another co-founder ever. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I was always supposed to be like a one-man band. Um, I just didn't see things working out. Like I heard too many horror stories about that. Um, even like one of my first businesses when I wanted to build like a website business, I had a really bad experience with other people who weren't as serious as me, you know, weren't as ambitious as I was. It was really frustrating. Um, but this time it kind of worked out because we had the same goals, same values, same vision, completely different skill sets. So my co-founder took care of all the operations. So he's the person, like he's still probably the only person that I know that can get anything done. If we want to have a live event in Mexico next week um, mm-hmm. to teach marketing, he will make it happen. I don't know how. He'll make it happen. He'll find the right people, do the right things. He will make anything happen. Any challenge that there is, you know, if we have to, you know, get a 500k investment, he will make it happen. Like anything, any challenge, he would get everything done, right? My role, mm. marketing, product development and marketing. So initially my role was I wrote all the sales copy, all the sales emails, um, all the sales pages, everything. That's, mm-hmm. you know, where I originally started. Um, I would help design courses. I did all the research, you know, I would say like, hey, this is how you should shoot the videos. This is how we should create like the worksheets, like everything that I had experience with, you know, this is how we should create like the design of the website. This is how we should correct email addresses, how we should create an ebook. Everything that I could help, I helped. And then he did, he managed the rest of the team to do basically everything else or he did like everything else that needed to get done. That was like our, you know, dynamics. So it's so interesting because what I'm hearing within that is that like he had uh, skill sets and roles of almost like chief financial officer, CEO, chief operating officer, but also having um, a pretty large network to be able to know who to reach out to, to be able to, you know, facilitate and make, you know, get the right butts in the right seats to be able to make that happen. But yours, your role then with like the CMO, digital CMO, um, yes, marketing, but also um, having skill sets in uh, sales as well, digital sales, uh, and also digital product, digital productization is what I'm hearing as well, because you like, you'd have to have that skill set to be able to uh, facilitate and make sure that like all of that happens. And something that I know about you, which I don't think someone would be able to tell just from listening to this interview is that you are a spreadsheet ninja. Like you, 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 the way that you structure information is, is, is world-class, you know, and then your tenacity for being able to go through like large volumes of data to be able to make sense of it um, is, is incredible. You know, uh, and so like I see how those skill sets can come together, be able to make that happen uh, in just a very, very uh, powerful and impactful way. Um, yeah. And then also something else um, that I know that you haven't shared yet uh, is uh, hiring. 
as well. I know you did a significant amount of uh, training of copywriters as well. And so it wasn't in that role of CMO, it wasn't just you, like actually you were also like building a team. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, there, there came a time, I mean, there come multiple times when I'm the bottleneck of the business and you don't want to be the bottleneck of your business ever. If you are, you're aware of it, you have to solve that, you know? So, you know, very quickly, you know, I, you know, I was on a pretty good level in terms of copy in Slovenia. The problem was there just weren't that many other people who had the same knowledge that I had because they didn't spend a hundred K on going to us, learning this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I later found out there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, kind of like steal courses online in Slovenia. It's kind of like a thing. They never buy them. It's just lots of piracy. They download the courses, but it's totally not the same stealing a couple of courses and going to New York 13 times a year, having these conversations with mentors, high-end masterminds. There's the level of knowledge is not Mm -hmm. the same at all. And also there's this big marketing mindset in Slovenia, which is like, let's just copy everything. Um, Oh, they're doing this. We should just do this in Slovenia. Just copy, steal everything. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a fan of that. Um, but that's how it was. So every time I tried to hire a copywriter, it's like there was no skill set. If I could find somebody, you know, who did have close to a skill set, they would be really expensive and they would already have their own business or want to work on themselves. They would never want to become employees. Right. So we actually did. We tried. We tried working with freelancers. We hired some really senior people. We we tried a lot of things, spent a lot of money on this kind of stuff, on these experiments. But ultimately, we realized, like, you know, if we want these skill sets, you know, we have to teach them. So I started training copywriters. I started creating, like, templates, processes, sharing my thinking with them, you know, having, you know, lots of calls, giving them lots of feedback. And, you know, kind of like trial and erroring my way into doing that. Like, I had lots of experience, like, with training copywriters, but because, like, taught courses on copywriting before, but these were like complete beginners, often like 20 years old, you know, didn't know a word of marketing. They were just like really, 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 really driven. Uh, so kind of had, had to like find my own way, own way of doing that. Mm. Um, but then eventually, you know, we were able to train some really dang good people that I'm really proud of, you know, that have these amazing skill sets. I would say like they're in top 0.1% of copywriting in Slovenia um, in like, a couple of months, maybe a year of training. And look, the bar is not set that high in Slovenia, as I said. However, they can write pretty dang good copy. They know how to do research. They know how to choose products that are going to do well, develop apps, stuff, like all that kind of stuff. Because I love talking about this stuff, as you can see. You know, I love teaching. I love spraying the word. Um, so we were able to build a team that could you know, take a lot of work off my shoulders so I could focus on the more strategic stuff and then opening new you know, English-speaking markets and you know, things like that um, where my time would be better spent than just writing another sales email or writing another ebook or things like that. You know, um, that's not really how we would be able to scale to seven figures and more. Um, if I just kept doing all this stuff myself. As someone who has also spent, uh, quite a bit of time hiring copywriters and assembling copywriting teams, uh, for past clients, uh, to be able to, you know, do the same thing, like grow, to like seven figures, like I, I know the difficulty of the journey. And what's even more impressive to me is that something that you have not even mentioned, and I don't know if anyone has caught on to this yet, but 
you learned all of these copywriting things in English and from an understanding translated it. <laughs> don't don't even mention it. Like <laughs> writing copy in Slovenian language for the first time was one of the most painful experiences of my life. It was so bad. It was so bad I reached out to my my Slovenian language teacher in from high school. Oh, no. I went to coffee with her to to help me with grammar. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> I didn't know that. It was, it was so, I did not know how to write copy in Slovenia. I, I still think copy in Slovenia and language sounds horrible. Mm. Like it sounds so weird, so salesy. It's like mm. every everything that, you know, we say in English that sounds totally normal in Slovenia just sounds salesy and scammy. So we had to navigate around that. Um, it was challenging at first, but then, you know, for the first few months it was challenging. And you just, it's like everything. You practice it, you get better. You kind of see what works. It just becomes more natural. You know, um, it's kind of like the same thing. Like I'm trained our Slovenian copywriters to write copy in English, you know, just right now. And it's, I, they're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, don't worry. I got you. We'll get there. So um, this is cool because like you have some people who will be listening to this who are, you know, trying to architect their own journey um, through the six and seven, you know, figures and everything. But you... I also know there's also going to be other people who already have marketing agencies who are listening to this and things I can hear them saying. It's like, okay, so he understood the strategic principles and then translated it into another language, trained these people to be able to uh, write and produce results for it. Um, but in addition to that, there's also understanding the nuances of cultural context and differences between a Western market, you know, and Slovenia, because like you said, like, that's what is coming out to me once you say, yeah, it's too salesy once you translate it, you know, to Slovenian, you know, like, you know, it's like the cultural context is different. You know, and so the fact that you were able to then even like figure that out, like that is an extremely advanced like skill, you know, it's like, you know, um, localization, you know, but then also strategic um, as well. Like that's 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 incredible. And I think that's something that has probably allowed you uh, to be successful because I know something else that you um, you all have done is you've you're no longer just um, marketing in Slovenia. Like you've expanded uh, to to other countries to then you know architect more of this uh, growth journey towards like the seven figures. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so so Slovenia was great. Um, it was you know what I call a virgin market, and it's one of the things that you. I think there's still plenty of virgin markets out there. I know there are you know markets like I mean Slovenia for lots of niches. Um, Philippines, India, lots of these places. You know probably Japan they have practically no competition. We had competition when we joined this market. Like there are people teaching parenting online, but you know, they were spending $10 a day on Facebook ads. And then we come in and eventually we start spending a thousand dollars a day on Facebook ads. You know, there was like the people were doing the basics, you know, they were doing like two out of 10. We're trying to do like eight out of 10, you know, on just like everything on funnels, on upsells, on copy, on product development, the speed of developing product, the the execution, the shooting quality, everything. We just went like all out on it. And there was, you know, no competition for us. Like we just, we we basically saturated the whole market, like mm-hmm. essentially. Like we just, you know, to give you perspective, what I mean by that. Um, so there's 2 million people in Slovenia. Um, approximately 450,000 parents. Um, 
not all of those are going to be our target audience because a lot of them are going to be grandparents, right? Um, so maybe 100, 150,000. And then also, you know, each person has a different parenting style. So like the guy that we work with, no matter, you know, what we do, he's not going to be relatable to some of the, you know, people. I and mean, they're just not going to like. So maybe we have a target audience of, let's say, 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. Our email list very quickly went from, you know, 2,000 people to 60,000 people. So we have the whole market, essentially, on our email list, the yeah. majority of it, right? It's like we are reaching everybody that we possibly could. We still were able to um, generate million dollars in revenue in Slovenia. Definitely not bad. Um, you know, in a niche where you're not supposed to make money, be able to make money. We did a 100K launch in Slovenia with a single product that cost $27, which was quite an achievement. Yeah. So yeah, we did, a, you know, we did pretty good with that. And that just really shows you when you like find the market, that's amazing. Like so many things are possible when there's this big need, big problem, nobody's solving like the basic fundamentals of building a business. There's no competition. It's like you could have bad copy, you could have a bad offer, you would still help a lot of people and basically scale up the business really, really fast. So that happened in Slovenia, but then after a while, we actually moved really fast. We developed, I was doing the maths a couple of days ago, I think like 40 different products, like online courses on every single parenting topic, eBooks, webinars, you know, later on these challenges and things like that. We did a bunch of stuff. And then there at one point, there was not much more left to be said. We solved every problem that we could humanly solve that we could think of. Um, We tried to create the best possible products. And while there are new parents every year in Slovenia, when we're going to continue serving those and then, you know, new problems will arise for parents. It's like, you know, their kids become teenagers and, you know, go to school and things like that. Um, I don't personally see a way in which we could 10x the size of this business in Slovenia mm-hmm. unless we went into a completely different business model. Like, for example, we could start selling children's books or toys, but we strategically chose not to do physical products um, because none of us is really good at that. And it's not the business that we want to play in. We want to play to our strengths. Um, so then we thought like, okay, it's Slovenia, you know, it's going to keep making consistent revenue. We have an email list. We can market it for free. Basically we can run ads and they're going to be profitable. You know, we can consistently make a couple of hundred thousand dollars every year in Slovenia for, for years. So that's okay. We have that covered, but our goal is not to help, you know, 25,000 customers that we helped in Slovenia. Um, that's like how many people we actually helped over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to help millions of people. And also our goal is not to build a seven-figure business, but a nine-figure business. So we knew it was just a matter of time, you know, until we go bigger. And when we found this product that really, like this, it was like a 28-day no yelling challenge for parents because we saw that like parents really hate yelling and they just want to get kids to listen without yelling at them. That, That felt like a really big pain point and really big desire that we've seen over and over again. We created like that challenge, generated a 100K launch. We thought like, oh, wow, this is four times better than any other online course, any other product we have ever launched. It was a complete outlier. So that's interesting. 
And at that point, we started seriously thinking about um, going abroad. And then it took us from that moment, 10 months to mm -hmm. publish the first profitable funnel um, in the US, uh, in, the, in the English speaking market. Um, it took a while because again, we we're focusing on many other things, you know, we were hiring, we were firing, we were training, we were, you know, testing a bunch of things out. We're, of course, first, when we created one challenge, we wanted to create five more challenges. So we did a challenge for better grades, for stress-free parenting, for getting kids to listen and so on and so on. You know, we did all of the different challenges. And then eventually it was like, okay, there's really nothing else we can say here. You know, there might be a couple of new products we develop a year, like maybe like a like this more niche products, like we've launched a product on raising kids with ADHD, which can be a great, you know, big market in like the whole wide world, but in Slovenia, it's pretty small. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we, when we start like nitpicking this niche products, we're just like, okay, now it's, now it's really time for us to, to go um, target a broader audience. So then in November, we finally launched this funnel and we launched like the 28 day no yelling parenting challenge. Um, we launched it in the US market as well as in EU market. So we run ads on in EU as well as US. Um, and then things blew up. First month, immediately 100K revenue. Nice. And that's been, and that was November with like a single product during Black Friday and then December. Same story, advertising expensive. We're still bringing in like, you know, almost 100K in revenue for that. January, things start exploding. Um, so that's so. incredible because that's almost like, so like it's, it's cool. You know, a lot of people talk about like a big launch, you know, and having like these big numbers like one month, but then it's not repeatable. But the fact that you're you're establishing a pattern, I like to say that patterns start um, at three, you know, and so for you to have three months of like, you know, uh, like if you average it out, like we plot it out on a graph, like you see either like a line going across or it's starting to go up, um, that that's incredible. Um, but there's also another concept within there that I wanted to dive into, um, which was you recently wrote about this, the time to launch. And like when you mentioned like how long it took to get things going like a little bit earlier, that's something that uh, uh, came to mind. And I don't think it's something that enough people talk about. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, you know, we've seen this when, like when I was starting my first business, actually for me, I was, because I make decisions quickly and I have a pretty good way of figuring out what's important, what, is, what isn't, or maybe I'm just too lazy to spend, you know, time on things like design and formatting, whatever. And just like, no, this is good. Let's just ship it out. You know, that was a lot of my mindset when I was um, building my first businesses. Um, I was actually putting out products relatively fast um, compared to some of the other people that I see like, you know, the people that tried to build online business but didn't succeed, a lot of them, they would develop an online course for a year, two years, never launch it. Mm -hmm. And yep, seen it. if I develop a course for a year right now and never launch it, we don't have a business. Yep. Like, there is no other option, you know, and especially, you know, when we, um, like there's lots of also like misconceptions, like how often you can launch to an email list you know i thought like you can launch like maybe once every three months and i started pushing it and like before i started working in slovenia you know i taught my clients you should launch something every month because if nothing else you'll generate some revenue you're not mm -hmm. going to be in red you know if it's a 10k launch great if it's a 
20K launch, amazing. If it's a 3K launch, still much better than no launch at all. Plus, you're going to get much better at launching and writing copy and building funnels if you're going to be doing 12 launches a year versus one launch a year. Plus, you're going to be able to help more people. Plus, more people will have the opportunity to buy from you. A lot of good things. Mm-hmm. In Slovenia, we're basically doing like 40 launches a year. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're <laughs> relatively soft. They're, they're not hard. Like when we launch a new product, like a, we do a big launch, really like a proper one to two week launch. But most of them, like there might be like a couple of sales, sales emails, um, very non-salesy, very product focused. Like, hey, if you have this problem, we have this deal for you, whatever. But what helped us get there is decreasing this time to launch because you know mm-hmm. a lot of people say like, you shouldn't launch too often because it's going to lead to list burnout. Mm-hmm. And I would believe that, but I don't see the numbers confirming that because we've been doing 40 launches, you know, a year and we still have 40% open rates for our emails on an email list of 60,000 people. So a question that I know, cause this is, this is, this is, this is the good stuff right here. Like a question I can hear people asking is, but were you launching to the same list was it different segments like how did same you list. same list, list. Okay. list. no segmenting no. Mm. same list wow. well i don't launch a product to someone who already has it right obviously yeah yeah but, yeah, um, yeah the key and, and the maintaining key here, 40 yeah. percent open rate yeah you said the key uh the key is i would burn this list out if i had if i did 40 launches mm-hmm. with a single product Two products, three products, five products. The problem is not launching. You know, when I subscribe to a newsletter from my favorite um, clothing company, yeah. I don't give a shit if they email me three times a week with new cool stuff they have for me. But I don't like it if they email me the same stuff over and over again, right? Okay. I don't care if, you know, how many times my favorite restaurant in the world has this special sushi evenings. It's great. Can I come more often? It's an opportunity for me mm. to, you know, to get value. So I think one of the key things, well, there's two key principles to how we were able to not burn that list out. So the first key principle is know when to go soft, know when to go hard, right? Mm. Like definitely when we do like four launches a year versus when we did, you know, 10, our launches are way, way, way softer. So no, you know, emails okay. every day, no triple reminder emails, no card extensions, things like that, right? So we keep it softer and we kind of like modify it. If a launch does really good, then we'll send more emails. If it goes poorly, then we'll send less emails, right? So that's the first core principle. The second one is we keep rotating the stuff. As I said earlier, we have like 30 different products right now. So we're only going to be launching like the same product once every 30, 40 weeks. Okay. Not really that often. I see. Okay. Gotcha. We were, we're constantly like giving them new stuff, solving new problems for them. And then also what we would do is um, we would have a mix of like relaunches and mm-hmm. new products, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always something new, something exciting and so on and so on. Okay. So that's how we were able to, um, to avoid that. Yeah. Okay. No, that's excellent. That is a, that's a fantastic distinction, you know, so expand the product portfolio. So it, one that, that obviously shows that you had this product engine, like just, dialed in, you know, to be able to create that many. Uh, and then also uh, the the marketing engine to be able to create that much uh, copy for each of those uh, uh, different products. And so it's a well-oiled machine to be able to do that kind of volume 
uh, within within the space of a year, and to be able to maintain uh, those email open rates as well. That's uh, that's that's really remarkable. Um, in addition to that, and then with the localization uh, to to uh, you know Slovenian language, like that's 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 there's so many layers um, to that that I wanted to just like call out there. There's also something else that you had developed and discovered on this uh, journey to you know growing it into like a seven figure agency, which is uh, the growth hierarchy. What is that, and how does it work? So that's the that's the concept we touched on earlier, right? When I talked about uh, Virgin Markets. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just a concept. It's I didn't invent it. It's just how I call it. I've heard many people talk about it. I don't know who invented it, so I can't give them credit, unfortunately. Um, but you have the growth hierarchy, which is like on the highest possible level is the market. If you have a great market, bad offer, um, bad copy doesn't matter. Plenty of examples. When it rains here in Kopangan, if you are on a scooter, um, if somebody offers you a raincoat, you will buy it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yep. If there's a raincoat, you buy. Doesn't matter if it's the shittiest raincoat in the world. Does not matter how expensive mm. it is, almost. Does not matter how bad the cop is or just as you just want the damn raincoat, right? Yep. So that, that's an example. Another relatable example is, you know, masks in COVID times. Um, mm. My, uh, how's it called? Cousin actually made a lot of money hand sewing masks, um, basically paid off her mortgage. Just sewing masks was just great market at the time. Wow. People wanted masks, you know, this nice mask that weren't <laughs> horrible. And there was a shortage of masks. And then probably there's things like, you know, stories like people selling toilet paper for $30 a roll in the US yeah. when everybody would just like, you know, buy it out. Like yep. that's, that's the power of the market, you know? Yeah. You want this, is supply and demand. That's the first foremost principle. Copy doesn't matter, offer doesn't matter. Just, just solve the problem for me, right? Mm. Now, so, yes. I was going to say, so it sounds like identify a pre-existing um, mass need uh, that the market has, that your audience has, uh, and then uh, do a great job of filling um, that need. And if the um, problem solution fit um, is extremely strong, you don't need a whole lot of language in between that uh, to be able to yeah. uh, facilitate um, the, the, the uh, transaction. Uh, basically yeah uh, yeah that makes How, sense i mean that yeah that's that's a principle i will say good copy is going to work better than bad copy good mm-hmm. offer is going to work better than you know bad offer like probably like you know if you have really good copy versus really bad it could mean like a five to ten x difference you know and just overall because again remember i said we had competitors in slovenia but nobody had seven figure businesses they were making like a thousand dollars a month mm. not you know hundred thousand dollars Yep. And they had, you know, they had products, but they weren't marketing them. You know, they weren't bringing them to market. You know, they were doing, weren't doing any Facebook ads. So, you know, even though they had an offer and everything, still, you know, it still wasn't happening for them. Now, here's the tricky thing here is it's very rare that it does happen. It constantly happens, but it's very rare that new really good markets arise. You know, it's very rare. It's like, you know, something like COVID happens and all of a sudden everybody needs masks, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a very rare occurrence. It does happen, 
you know, things happen. Like for example, AI copywriting is big right now. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people are making you know, lots of money selling AI copywriting courses because yep. some people really want to learn it, right? Like things like this do happen. And there were like messenger bots and things like that, you know, where if you're like an early adopter and then become an early expert, you can basically be one of the first people in that market, right? Mm -hmm. Now, these are things, but you can't really rely on them. It's what's more likely, especially like over the last 10, 15 years is, that the markets get worse and worse. There's less and less, you know, you would call them blue oceans and more and more red oceans. Yep. Because the barrier to entry has dropped so much. Like when I started my own business, you know, I had to hire people to build me a website, to design me a website. There were no templates. I couldn't, you know, get Elementor, build a website or Squarespace or, you know, whatever people, Wix, whatever people are using nowadays, you know, I would have spent thousands of dollars on that. Now you can do it like with a couple of clicks. You have a website. It's, it's crazy, right? The barrier to entry is so much lower because of that. There are so much like courses that teach you how to build a business and so on and so on, which is why a lot of the markets have become more, much more saturated yep. um, than they used to be. So that's why they are like, you know, far less virgin markets. Like if you look at 2007, when a lot of people build their businesses, mm. They were doing crappy marketing, crappy content. They built huge businesses because they were in like virgin markets. Like they were the first people blogging. They were able to build yeah. huge followings. When Instagram was new, people built like millions of followers because they were one of the first people on, on Instagram, right? Um, but it's getting worse and worse. I feel like there still are virgin markets. Mm -hmm. Probably much fewer of them are in the United States. Yeah. Because that's where who everybody wants to target with advertising, which I don't know why, because it's like 10 times more expensive than everywhere else. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's like, everybody has this idea. Yeah, it's the holy grail. And like, yeah, the conversions are higher. And it's like, yeah, you know, we've done some testing. AOB in US is a little bit higher than in like in Europe, <laughs> but the cost, the ads are 10 times more expensive. So um, there are a lot of virgin markets outside of us mm. um there might be bigger markets like spanish speaking or german or italian markets might be smaller markets like poland like um mm. netherlands like portugal like you know croatia and things like that there's lots of markets where you can get insane numbers on things like facebook ads email open rates conversions like you would be shocked to see how different the numbers are. So, so I love this concept of um, the virgin markets. Like, how how would you recommend someone even go about finding one? Just move to another country. <laughs> no, I mean, like it's like no, like there's you know there's 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 people doing this right like i actually have a friend yeah. who's who's doing this like you know they built a supplement business they have a really 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 big business you would not say it's that big they you know started selling supplements in slovenia and then they went to poland they went to austria they went to basically all these numbers they hired they built like teams for each of the countries mm. hired copywriters and translators to translate everything they would just copy and paste the funnels. It works. You can actually do that. It works. There's nuances, mm -hmm. not so much cultural nuances, but more like nuances in payment methods. Like there's this um, really weird thing, like um, yeah, it's called yeah, cash yeah. And delivery. Like yeah. this mm -hmm. is this is the craziest, stupidest thing. But you know, it's <laughs> we, if we didn't do this thing, I'm not sure if we'd have a business today. I mean, okay. I'm not sure. So 
how you how do you buy an online course in Slovenia, right? So you go to the website, see the sales page, you you know um, go to the checkout page, you enter your details, you choose cash on delivery. What does that mean? That means you know you click there, your account gets created, you enter your personal details, you enter your address, you don't enter your credit card, right? So your account gets generated. You don't have the access to the course yet. What happens is a postman brings you an envelope with a card and inside the card is your access code for your online course, which we made online so anyone can buy it, but <laughs> you have to pay the postman to get it. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it's hilarious. Like there's all, because like because uh, people don't trust credit cards because not everybody has a credit card like you know lots of our audience like you know 40s 50s they're just like yeah just the postman was it's just the culture and mm-hmm. like in our country there's like 30 to 40 percent of the sales um come through this mm-hmm. and we've tested removing this option to force people to use credit cards with paypal it doesn't work our conversions die <laughs> like if you, you cannot do it without this and it's the exact same story. If you go to Italy, it's going to be the same thing. If you go really? to Croatia, if you don't have this, if you don't, if you don't have like, you know, the Croatian bank wow. account and like the GLS and or like DHL delivering these things for you, it's not going to work. You have great copy. Your business is going to fail. That's like it's, wild. It's crazy. That's and crazy. And it's the same thing for like, you know, in the <sighs> Netherlands, there's this weird thing called Ideal where basically there's like bank transfers within like the... Uh, within Dutch banks, really frustrating because I lived there and didn't have the damn thing. I couldn't buy anything because that was the only payment method that you could use. But if you don't sell through Ideal, your business is going to fail because those 30%, 50%, 70% that you would make on those sales can be the difference between profitability and being in the red. So um, you can you can go localized like that, um, but there's intricacies you have to figure out. But then when you do, there's actually so many virgin markets. Selling programming to Polish people, selling, you know, even like, I mean, fitness workouts in Slovenia, it's like a seven figure business, like, you know, to sell like home workouts, things like that. You know, you can do a lot of things, probably like mm. if you go to Croatia, like almost anything, it's a virgin market for, however, it does require, most people are not going to do this. Most people will not build a team. They will not take the risk. It's a big investment to yeah. enter a market like that as well. It's like 10 to 20K investment just to go to market with a product because of all the translations and everything. But virgin markets, like they're definitely there. I would say lots of them are really localized. And then beyond that, there's definitely other virgin markets that are just, I guess, some of them are more niche, some of them are less niche. If I think about it strategically, how I do it is I would find niches where people who are good at the profession are not good at marketing and will not want mm. to do marketing. Okay. So that's that's the explanation for parenting coaching, right? Why why there's a lot of parenting books out there because many people have written parenting books, but if you Google, there's not a lot of parenting courses. There was not a single parenting, paid parenting challenge out there when we started marketing it. Since then, people have copied us and there's multiple parenting challenges. Um, however, like it's, it was crazy. Like it was, it was insane to me. Like parenting is such a big thing. But then you think about why is this still emerging market? Because none mm. of the parenting coaches, they like, especially the good ones, 
they don't want to do marketing. It sounds scammy. It sounds salesy. They just want to put something on the page and then just hope it sells itself. Mm-hmm. They don't want to spend 100K a month on Facebook ads or like half a million a month on Facebook ads. Like they are never going to do that. They're never going to want to write the copy and things like that. So the only times when those businesses are successful is when they work with an agency that does the work for them. Mm-hmm. However, in our case, there didn't seem to be that many businesses that would be doing all that well. We found a couple of competitors, but we felt like, okay, you know, their competitors, they have like multiple eight-figure businesses. So that's good. It's proof of concept. It works. Yep. However, they have like one product. We have 40. Nice. What are we waiting for? You know, it's like, <laughs> so, and I would say that there's probably, you know, a lot more niches like that um, out in the world that you can find, but it is not the easiest thing in the world. You know, it's when you find it, it's great. That's when you should leave everything, double down on it, you know, stop doing everything that you're doing and double down on it. Um, when everything is just working, when conversions are through the roof, like just stop everything else. Just focus your attention there. So it's that is very opportunity. That that's incredible, and it's a perfect segue to something that it, we absolutely need to talk about, which is a uh, paid challenge funnels. Like, tell yeah. us more about that because I know I think you had mentioned like they're responsible now for like more than fifty percent of revenue. Uh, yeah more than 50% of like the so we went from zero from scratch to 1.4 million revenue in um two years and a half i think um so in like 200k well 220 212k like 569k and then like 711k last year mm-hmm. and that's actually euros so in dollars it's like 20% more um but yeah like 50% of that were paid challenge funnels now I want to go back for just one second to growth hierarchy. If you can find a virgin market, if you can sell, you know, raincoats when it rains, like by all means, just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you don't have that opportunity, what can you do, right? Because a lot of people are going to say like, yeah, Primer, that sounds great. I'm so happy for you, but I don't have that opportunity. How can I still grow and scale my own business, right? Um, there is a way. There are many ways. So the hierarchy is you start with um you start with the market and then the second thing that's most important is the offer if you have a crowded saturated market you can still make it you can still win with a great offer now i'm not just saying like a better online course than everyone else even though that works even better is if you can come up with like a brand new format that's like extremely like innovative that's like not really many people are using mm-hmm. um if you find something new like the first person who started selling like online courses they probably made an insane amount of money right first person who started like selling like like i have a friend of mine um in slovenia he started selling checklists for um e-commerce he made multiple six figures doing that which is like here's a checklist use this to optimize your e-com website you're gonna make more money Save me a little bit. That's it. It was like, you know, a brand new offer in a market. And now you can see, like, again, many people are copying him. There's many offers like that, you know, out there. But he was like the first one. So instead of creating the same offers that everybody else is creating, create something new. And that one thing, it's it's crazy to me because we've we found this thing about challenge funnels, um, paid challenge funnels. It was I think in January 2021. It was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's when we that's when we you know um, 
it was 2022. I don't know. It was, it was probably last year. So it was like a year ago, right? So we did that and we started selling this paid challenge funnel. So what it is, you, when you hear challenge funnel, there is a term that exists for like ch challenge funnels, which is you have a seven day challenge to collect email addresses and then you grow your email. That's typically what people think of. There are some great examples like the green smoothie challenge. Like there are lots of great challenges. People got a lot of email addresses for that. But that's not the thing I'm talking about. There's lots of things like that don't really work organically anymore as well as they used to. It's also on paid ads, as far as I don't, I know it's not nearly as lucrative as it was. We started doing a paid challenge. Just one sec. We have such a long call that my AirPods are dying. <laughs> I keep switching them. <laughs> You're good. Can you hear me now? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, perfect. All right. We'll, we'll make it through. Okay, so yeah. you have this um, pay challenge funnels. What's the concept? You create a challenge. Mm -hmm. It can be a 28-day challenge. It can be a 21-day challenge. It can be a seven-day challenge. There's different intricacies. But the idea is for X number of days, let's say 28 days, you send someone an email every single day with a different tip that leads them to a certain outcome. Let's say I want to you know, um, teach you how to play guitar. I give you like 28 days, like for every day, do this different thing. And you're going to learn how to play guitar, like be comp competent in it in like 28 days, right? So you get like daily emails. And this, you would be, you would think that people are doing this, but they're not. If you Google 28 day guitar challenge, you're most likely not going to find the paid product that you can buy. It's crazy. It's going to be hard to find a programming challenge. You cannot even find a, like a copywriting challenge. Like there's, there's two out there right now. And one of them is like a free thing from like, I think Gary Halbert, like from years ago. And one is mine because I built it. Um, but you, you cannot find it. Animation challenge, like so many things. You cannot find paid products. It's like a brand new thing. Like there's things like the keto challenge, like the self-growth challenge, the procrastination challenge is a huge business. And like some of these things exploded, but there might be like a yoga challenge, but in most niches, there is no challenge. Mm. Now, why I love it. So first of all, yeah, there's nobody's offering this. So it's an opportunity that's right out there for grabs. Anything that you do, build a challenge and sell it and you can make a lot of money. Um, second reason why I love it is we've tested this and the follow-through rates are much, much, much higher than with online courses. Mm -hmm. Online courses... I love them. I love going through them. The best investments I've ever made, but we know that industry standard follow-through rates are like 1%. Mm -hmm. Most people buy courses, never finish them. One of the advantages of like a challenge over an online course um, that our customers have told us about over and over again, that they love it, is they love the daily reminders. Especially mm. when they're like, you know, busy moms or like whoever, like they love just getting their email. It's like, oh, just do this one thing today. It's like, wow, okay, I, I can do this. And even if they fall behind, they still get a new email. They still get a new idea. They right. cannot not do it because it's right there with them, right? So that's the second reason why I love it. Third reason why I love it is we actually, by doing a lot of testing, we found a way to create really effective upsells for challenges that just work on every single funnel that we do. Mm -hmm. So... Challenges are usually fairly low ticket products. Like our most expensive challenge is probably like $28 that we were able to send profitably through Facebook ads. Yep. Um, now it's hard to build like a huge business on $28, you know, product. 
that's why a big part of this having an upsell funnel in the back end that increases your average order value or AOV. So we do that in a number of ways. One for like one click upsells, this happen after you already click the buy button, but also through things on the on the checkout page. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is with our challenges, we offer options to um, buy a challenge only or an audiobook together with the challenge. So that's an option that a lot of people choose because they just want to listen to it in the car. Um, we offer challenge extensions. So if you buy a challenge, you can add an additional 28 days or how, how, however many days. And we offer a checklist that's based on um, the challenge so that you can you know, have all the stuff in one place on basically a couple of pages and you can start using it, implementing it right away. This structure you know, of the bump orders and like the audiobook it increases our AOV by 30 to 50% on every single funnel that we do, very templated. So that means that every person on average is not spending $27 with us, they're spending like $40 with us or 45 or even $50 before the upsells even happen, which then increase the average order value further, right? Um, and then that improves the economics, which means you can make the ads profitable or if you're launching to an email list, you can actually make you know two to three times more revenue uh, with these challenges and all of a sudden you're selling like a $75 product just on average, you know, it just seems like a $27 product. So I love it because it's, you know, the reason why this bump order, so I call them product extensions. The reason why these product extensions work is because they follow like two of the best types of upsells. And one of them is more of the same, you know, instead of getting one bottle of supplements, get free. You know, instead of mm -hmm. getting one yoga class, you know, get 10 yoga classes pay you know um i don't know like instead of ten dollars per class you get it for eight dollars per class like this stuff just works it's just more of the same it just works people want more of the same um so they can get a better outcome and the second thing is they want faster results a checklist helps them get faster results that's incredible and it's just every single funnel that we launch it just works we don't have to invent new copy we don't have to wonder what these things are going to be we don't have to test it just works. Like the numbers on this kind of stuff is crazy. So those are some of the reasons why I'm like really thrilled about, you know, this um, new model that we discovered. It's just like one of the easiest things to actually, you know, build out nowadays. So that is incredible. I can't believe it's already been two hours. Um, <laughs> we knew we were getting there. I told you. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we're, we're just about coming to time and like, there's just like, one thing that there's one more question that I want to ask you for us to be able to like close out on, which is um, why you said no, because like all this success is happening, right? But you recently made an interesting decision, you know, which is saying no to a thousand dollars per hour. What's going on there? Yeah. So this is also one of those un uncomfortable conversations because every time I tell, you know, somebody that, um, I earn a thousand dollars per hour. They think like, you know, first of all, like you're an asshole. Um, your audience is not going to think that, but they're like, you know, just so incomprehensible for some people, you know, to earn those amounts of money. Cause especially when the average seller is like, you know, 10 euros per hour in Slovenia. Um, can you still hear me by the way? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, and also because I sound like a complete asshole for saying no to a thousand dollars per hour, but hear me out. Um, <laughs> I often talk about how I take 
one step backward to be able to take two steps forward, right? And, you know, for the past few years, I've been running this digital marketing agency, but I've always been working uh, with my own coaching clients as well, um, which I still do to this date. I still, you know, am working with a handful of clients mm-hmm. um, because I love working with them because they're good clients and, well, they, they do pay the bills, you know, so even if like the company might not be doing well or we're investing like 100% of our profits into growth, right? So it's, it's definitely good to have diversified streams of income. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, as people saw the company that I was um, building, Slovenia is small, so people talk. So many, many people asked me to help them with marketing for their companies. Um, I was actually became like an interim CMO for one of the companies for more than six months, which was doing well. You know, it was um, great profit. But at one point um, back in October this year, uh, last year, I was running on empty fumes. Um, I loved doing everything that I was doing, but there were too few hours of the day. That meant um, for three months, I think the only weekend that I didn't work was when it was my birthday trip. That was the only weekend I didn't work. And I would, you know, wake up at 6 a.m. and then come home like at 8 p.m. in the evening. And it was not good for my relationships, mental health. You know, I'm I'm all about working hard and hustling, but it just like I wasn't happy, content, satisfied like I thought I would be. You know, sure I was making a lot of money, but it was not going in the direction I wanted to. So that's one of the reasons why I started thinking like, like oh, I need to change something. And the second reason is like this, my co-founder is really good at this. It's like the concept of opportunity cost that he introduced me to. Mm-hmm. And um you only have a limited amount of assets, like of your time and energy every day. And you can choose where you spend it. And it's basically a simple, you know, idea of focus. The more you focus on one thing, the better you're going to get at it, right? Um, the more you're going to get out of it. And even though I might be getting paid, you know, as much as like a thousand dollars per hour for a single hour of coaching, and it would be absolutely stupid to, you know, say no to that and let go of some of my long-term clients and stop taking on any clients and leaving the position as a CMO and um, doing things like that. And even though it was really, really hard because I love working with my clients so much, um, I knew at one point if I wanted to reach you know, the goal to build a nine-figure company and help millions of parents all over the world and all of the other people all over the world, I would have to give it my 190%. Like I would have to be there. I would have to think about it. I would have to focus on it. I would have to do everything in my part to get there. Um, because if I didn't do that, then, I mean, somebody else would take that opportunity, which is I mean, fine by me. They're going to help the people. That's great. Um, but it just felt like, you know, I needed to say no to that revenue for a certain amount of time. And if you do the math, it's actually not that difficult to make that decision. Because if you imagine like, you know, um, if our company keeps growing the way that it has been growing, very, very quickly, every single hour that I put into my company is gonna be worth much more than a thousand dollars. Like when you start talking about an eight figure company, 
you know, you start understanding when you do the maths, why there's a lot of eight figure business owners that will not go to a conference where somebody would pay them like $25,000 just to do a two hour speech. Like you start to get it. When you get on this level, you kind of start to get that. So it's kind of like a similar situation to that. It's like, yes, I could do that. And I will keep my best clients and that, you know, I love working with, I will continue to do that. Um, but I will mercilessly say no to 99% of like new opportunities so I can have the time, so I can have the space to really do this one thing really, really right. And then also have a relationship with my girlfriend and be able to do yoga and things like that because that, those things also, you know, give me ideas, give me the space to, you know, really make magic happen in, in a lot of things. So that's hey. like one of the things I changed. Yeah. I love that. And I couldn't think of like a better place uh, to end this incredible conversation on like, I, there's so much more that I want to talk yes. to you about. <laughs> I we feel like we're scratching eight more hours. Eight more hours. <laughs> At least like it's, this is, this has been incredible. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for sharing the fullness of your story, I learned more about you. I've known you for 10 years and I'm, I'm still learning parts of your story, your past, present, future, that like, I had no idea. Uh, this was incredible. I know there are gonna be so many people that we both know that are gonna love this interview uh, and the people who we have yet to meet uh, who will get so much um, out of this. So again, I just wanna say thank you uh, for coming. Uh, this has been incredible. Uh, and thank you for being you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was, this is probably the best interview I've ever done. Yeah. So good job. Thank good you. Job. Thank this you. was really cool.